Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Well, I'm getting a chance to read some of that long hair stuff you like. <laughs> hey, man, I remember you back at the academy. A stack of books with legs. The first thing I ever heard from an upperclassman was, watch out for Lieutenant Kirk. In his class, you either think or sink. Welcome, everybody, to another episode. I say another episode, but uh, it's actually been a while. So welcome, everybody, to an episode, finally, of the Positively Trek Book Club. Like I say, it's been a little while. I'm Dan Gunther, one of your hosts, and with me, back to talk comics, is the wonderful Brandy Jackala. Brandy, how's it going? Oh, no, you're wonderful. I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Doing well. How are you, Dan? How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay, mostly because I'm excited to talk about books and comics again. And, oh man, you know, what prompted this was me looking at this backlog (laughs) of amazing comics that IDW has been putting out over the last, ah man, year and a bit so far in this kind of new wave of comics they've been doing with the the flagship Star Trek series, they're calling it, which already has a spin-off, Star Trek Defiant. Uh, and meanwhile, in between all of that, there's all this other stuff going on. There's a Star Trek The Motion Picture era comic. There's, of course, another Strange New Worlds comic. We covered uh, the Illyrian Enigma a while ago, and there's a new one, The Scorpius Run, that they're doing, and all this other stuff that that they just they just keep pumping out. And I hate the C word, content. So <laughs> they, they keep pumping out amazing stories by talented writers and artists. And I just thought, Dang it, we have to jump in and get caught up at some point. <laughs> I am here for it. I'm here for it. So in in an effort to kind of jump in and, like I say, get caught up, we're actually going back in time quite a ways, further back than I'd realized, because uh, silly me, I was trying, I was looking through the comics that I had and I was looking in September, 2023, a couple months ago. Cause I remembered it came out in September. Uh, we're going to be talking about IDW number 400. It was this big special 400th issue they did because IDW has now published more Star Trek comics than any other comic publisher has. And they did a big celebration for their 400th issue, but it wasn't September, 2023. It was September, 2022. And suddenly I'm a year older than I thought I was. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh boy. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're going back there a ways. You know, I think that's perfectly fine because yeah, you could cover it immediately like everybody else does. Or, or you could get a captive audience by covering it at a time that nobody else is. So there you go. Exactly. We'll get all those people that went, oh yeah, I remember that. Maybe I should dig that out again and take a look at it. Yeah. Or maybe people who bought it a while ago and had it in their collection and just haven't gotten around to reading it, I guess maybe. Those people exist, right? Oh, they absolutely exist. I can be one of them from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, this is going to be, I think, a really fun issue because we have, I'd say five stories, six if I'm being very generous. (laughs) There's six, six in quote marks. Yeah. Can you call that one a story? It's like a, I mean, it's like a commercial more than anything else. Well, we'll get to it. I have thoughts even though, but we'll be very generous and say six stories. Uh, by different authors and artists from all across the Star Trek. Well, some of them don't even usually do a lot of Star Trek. There's just a lot of really cool uh, stories by different writers, different artists, including one by Wesley Crusher himself, Will Wheaton, 
I'm going to enjoy talking about that one. Same. Yeah, as well as a uh, prequel story to that ongoing Star Trek comic that's going on right now, uh, which, again, is kind of one of the big reasons I wanted to go back and talk about this issue. So, all right, well, let's start with issue number one. This one is called Captain's Log. It's written by Chris Eliopoulos with art by Luke Sparrow and colors by DC Alonzo. So this takes place kind of right at the end of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and it's told almost entirely in this Captain's Log. A person who I think we make an assumption about it by the beginning, but it gets a little flipped around by the end, which is kind of cool. Uh, someone who's on the Enterprise, their journey on the Enterprise is coming to a close, and uh, they're moving on to a different part of their life. Now, I'm assuming, Brandy, like me when you read this, given the captain's log showing the Enterprise, and then the next panel showing Kirk in his captain's chair, we're assuming this is Kirk recording this, right? I kind of felt like it wasn't because it didn't sound like stuff that Kirk would say to me. <laughs> I do remember reading it thinking like, this is a little bit more introspective than Kirk yeah. usually is known like, this, for being. This is not Kirk. This is not how he would talk. <laughs> <laughs> not William Shatner's Kirk anyway. <laughs> so so I just kind of thought, I don't think this is Kirk. I know it's not Spock. And I thought it was probably Sulu, but I didn't know for sure. Well, I have to say, I, I thought it was Kirk because we're meant to think it's Kirk, I think. It's a retrospective on the original series, the films, all of these adventures that this crew has had together, what they've learned um, the person talking is is saying what makes a good captain. And I think like we're kind of meant to think like it's Kirk reflecting back, right? Like what me what was I a good captain? Did I do right by this crew? But by the end, as as you've uh, hinted there, it's actually a new captain wondering if they will be a good captain, if the lessons they've learned from the people in their lives aboard the Enterprise, if that will inform how they go forward, how will he stack up against his experiences in the past and stuff. And of course, it is Captain Hikaru Sulu of the USS Excelsior, setting off at the end of Star Trek VI after having worked with Kirk and crew one last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was bittersweet. So I liked a lot of these like memories we get here, bits throughout the original series. Kirk punching the Gorn in the mouth, which I don't <laughs> exactly remember him doing, but it makes for a pretty cool little panel. It was a deleted scene. Just go with it. I guess. He's knocking <laughs> teeth out of the Gorn's jaw, too. I, I don't remember that, but... I feel like we might be getting unreliable narrator rose-colored glasses here. <laughs> or just how uh, Kirk related it to the crew. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this part happened before the Metrons uh, sent the transmission. This Seriously, I was kicking its butt. Yep. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this. I think it's kind of a sweet little retrospective. And I'm touched throughout it. I'm getting a little bit like... You know, the, the TOS era, it is what started it all. It kind of is the foundation upon all of the rest of Star Trek, what it's built on. And this was a nice little kind of denouement to that. Yeah, it was. And I, I appreciated that. Uh, again, because it was so introspective, I'm like, there's no way in hell this is Kirk. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he wouldn't be questioning whether he'd be a good captain. <laughs> but... Uh, I I liked uh, going back once I it was confirmed that it was Sulu. I went back and reread it with his voice in my head, mm -hmm. and it it matched up very very well. And I do appreciate this is this is kind of weird to appreciate, but I appreciate that all these scenes that they took from the original series, from the movies, etc. They put little captions of which one it was. <laughs> Because mm -hmm. you never know, maybe this is somebody's very first experience with Star Trek. It could be. I mean, maybe. <laughs> and and now, I mean, if, if it were somebody's very first experience with Star Trek, now they know 
where they need to go to see the other parts of this story and to see how we got to this point. So I think actually that was a good idea to go ahead. I mean, Star Trek fans know just from seeing the the, the panels. We know what that was from. But not everybody Mm -hmm. necessarily picking up this comic would. So well done. Yeah, definitely. I also love how going back through it, not not 100% of the situations they show, but a lot of them, they kind of show Sulu in the background or kind Mm -hmm. of on the periphery. Uh, there's a few that we know he just wasn't at. So like we don't see him at V'ger with Kirk, but we do see him witnessing Spock mind melding with the Horda and he was not there in that episode, but they've, they've placed him there. So that was kind of maybe a little hint if you were reading and you're like, I don't remember Sulu being there. I wonder why they put Sulu. Oh, <laughs> like I wonder if that, if I'd have paid closer attention there, if I would have clued in quicker. Yeah. I, I wasn't paying very close attention to that either because the devil in the dark and I have a very um, interesting relationship because Mm. it terrified (laughs) me, but at the same time made me realize that Spock was my favorite. So I, you know, I was just like, oh, the Horta, the Horta, and didn't really pick up that Sue was even in there (laughs) the first time. The second time, yes, but not the first time. So what did you think of the artwork? in this story it made me feel it it, i think it was done in more of a retro style and i i think that that was purposeful because Mm -hmm. this is original series content and so it's it's sort of got that you know 60s cartoon stuff (laughs) that's that same aesthetic of those adventure cartoons from the 60s and 70s and I think it it matched well with the story that they were telling. Yeah, I think it was it was something that uh, first of all that first shot of the Enterprise. That's just that's the most beautiful incarnation of that ship. So it started out on the right foot for me. I was just like, oh, that's gorgeous. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed the style. It felt storybookish. It felt like remembrance of things past kind of thing. And uh, there's a few that really stand out, like the part where Kirk is looking out at the Genesis planet after the death of Spock and saying, I feel young. That just perfectly captured that kind of wistful look in his eye, but also kind of, yeah, he looks young there. It it was really well done. Yes, I agree. And there was no trouble discerning who any of the characters were. I mean, Mm -hmm. There, there was enough of a likeness there that you were never confused at uh, what you were looking at. So I, I think it was a, a style that really fit the era in which Star Trek was born. They got Khan's scowl down perfectly there. So Nailed it. Absolutely <laughs> nailed it. Really, really impressed with that one. Well, let's uh, move on from there to the next story. We've got Soldier On written by Declan Shalvey with art by Seth Demus and colors again by DC Alonzo. Demus is something we say in Canada when we see a rather large animal out the front window, but uh, I apologize. I apologize. I'm sorry, Seth. <laughs> That's so dumb. That is so funny to me. <laughs> sorry. That tickled me. Thank you. Well, um, so yeah, this story is set in a completely different era. We've got the USS Rutledge in orbit of Setlik 3. And anybody out there who is a fan of, of O'Brien and his story knows that those two proper nouns, Rutledge and Setlik 3, are very important in O'Brien's backstory. So uh, when we first started this, I was like, oh, we're going to see the massacre on Setlik 3 or something like that. As it turns out, this story actually takes place before that. We don't actually get that in this story, which makes sense because in this one we meet Captain Maxwell as well, and he's kind of unfamiliar with O'Brien. And we got the impression that when the massacre occurred, when they talk about it in, in TNG, he says O'Brien was my tactical officer on the Rutledge when that happened. So uh, O'Brien's star is going to rise 
very quickly after the events of this comic, presumably due to the events of this comic and what he uh, accomplishes here. So uh, what did you think of this one? I I liked it and I also had trouble with it, but not, not because of um, anything not, was done wrong. How do I explain this? Calling Cardassians spoonheads. Mm-hmm. or Cardi's, or basically saying something that could be considered racist. It's always difficult for me, even if it's made up stuff, it's still very difficult for me. But it's necessary to this story. And it's also a big part of O'Brien's background. And even on Deep Space Nine, he would still sometimes use some of those racist terms. And I'm just like, Oh, they're mm-hmm. people too. I know that a lot of them are terrible, but you're only seeing the really bad ones. There's a whole planet full of absolutely normal people <laughs> over on mm-hmm. Cardassia. So, but yeah, this is uh, poor O'Brien. He really gets uh, shoved into the middle of it right away. Something that uh, he'll have to get used to over the course of his career, getting put in situations where... Uh... Yeah, uh, let's just say he's in for some rough times ahead. He is. He has no idea what's coming. He thinks it's mm. bad now. Ooh. Nah. Now, there's some interesting story stuff here that I that I feel like they were making comments about. So, for example, O'Brien says he used to be quite good with machines and stuff, and he was an engineer, but lately he's been more of a soldier and... So, you know, he's a little rusty in those areas. He's been forced to to do this instead. And then kind of mirroring that right at the very end, the Cardassians, and one in particular whom we know quite well, mm. saying that, you know, time to be a soldier now, not his usual line of work, right? So some kind of, I feel like the story was trying to connect the the dots of the experiences on both sides of this conflict if that makes sense yeah i agree with that because the artwork was sometimes unclear to me as to who people were Mm -hmm. and sometimes it was a little difficult for me to understand what was going on like am i looking at a flashback or am i looking at something currently happening i'm not exactly sure Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i'm still not exactly sure i'd probably have to read it a few more times just to see if I could figure out where my brain is short-circuiting. It's it's a difficult thing to have to go to war when that isn't your job. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're obviously trained soldiers all over the world in our current world, and they are the ones that go first. But what if we got drafted? You know, yeah. what would we be like? We'd be feeling a lot of the same things that O'Brien is in this story. Yeah, that was one thing you mentioned the art style. It took a little bit, I'm going going to admit, it took a little bit for me to kind of get my head around this style. And mm-hmm. it, it's kind of uh, cartoonish a little bit. Like the, the transporter effect, for example, is just like big squares of pixelation kind of thing. And yeah, there's the, you know, very, if, if we hadn't been originally told right at the beginning, this is O'Brien. I might not have immediately thought, or like if we didn't have the context of the story to know that, Oh, this is definitely O'Brien captain Maxwell. I generic captain guy to me. Mm-hmm. And then at the end we get Garrick and I'm assuming Inabrin Tain, uh, Tain based on the physique and Garrick based on the fact that he called him Elam. That's the only way that I would ever know that that was Garrick. Same. Because I'm just like, am I being racist that I can't tell these Cardassians <laughs> apart? <laughs> no, it's not I that I couldn't so. tell them. Yeah. It's not that I thought they all looked the same. It's just that I couldn't tell um, without the dialogue who these people were. So... Mm-hmm. It, it was it was a little bit difficult in me and for me in uh, understanding what was going on. Yeah. So the other question I have, this Cardassian spy that is captured by O'Brien, I guess he manages to send a transmission or something and is uh, is he disintegrated or does he beam away? What's going on there? And is that. I, I think Garrick calls him Tane, but he's talking to a Tane at the end. Mm. So I don't, 
I didn't exactly get what was happening there. Me either. <laughs> okay, not, not just me then. No, it's not just you. I'm glad you're that I'm not the only one who was confused. In fact, I've got the issue right here in front of me, so you're going to hear me turning pages. Sorry, guys. But yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm looking at the panel and I'm like, I still don't get this. I mean, it looks like he was disintegrated because he's got like blood coming out of his mouth. And, yeah. And he looks like he's in pain. So, like, I thought maybe at first that was supposed to be Garrick, but then, like, he beamed away or something and made them think he was. But then he's talking to, again, I'm assuming an Auburn Tain at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, I'm sorry to report that Tain met an unfortunate end. Yeah, before his tragic end, our agent managed to send out a signal that I received. Is this another son of Tain or something? <laughs> well, you know, we can't assume there's only one Tain. I mean, it could be. Yeah, there's the Deep Space Nine episode, The Wire, where (laughs) Garrick talks about him and this other guy named Elam, who were known as the Sons of Tain. And I mean, like, he was talking about himself that whole time, because we Mm -hmm. learn in that episode that his name is Elam Garrick. But was there another Son of Tain that he... I don't know. Who knows? Like, with Garrick, all the lies, I have no idea, so... Well, that's the thing, is, like, they're all true, especially the lies. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, I, I found this to be an interesting story, but maybe kind of one of the weaker ones of the batch, just because of that confusion at the end. Uh, although I do like some of what I think it has to say about mm. war and conflict and that sort of thing. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> exactly. Well, we have our next story Story. It's a one-pager. <laughs> and I mean, like, if you read Archie comics back in the day, you're used to little one-page stories, right? So it, this is just like that. It's a little one-page story. It's called Meanwhile by Mike Johnson and Angel Hernandez and Stephen Delasala, uh, doing the artwork there. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a corridor. Um, Scotty and Keenser are <laughs> kicking back with their feet up. And uh, I would assume, based on the dialogue and the uniforms they're wearing, they're aboard the Enterprise A that we briefly saw at the end of Star Trek Beyond. Mm-hmm. And Scotty is chastising Keenzer for not doing any work. You should have had those upgrades done hours ago. No wonder this getting this new ship ready is taking forever. And then Scotty falls back asleep. Uh, and the story ends with them saying, stay tuned. To me... This felt like a comment on how long it's been bloody taking to get the next movie. (laughs) (laughs) If there ever is going to be a next movie. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Um, That's that's the thing. We never know what we're going to get until we get it. And even sometimes when it's announced that we're going to get it, we still don't get it. So it's anybody's guess. So I don't know. That's... That's what I got out of this story. It was cute. Mm. I always love Angel Hernandez's uh, artwork as well. Oh, yes. Agree. It's a good style. Did you did you get something different out of that? Or is that kind nope. of... That's <laughs> pretty much on the nose for me, too. <laughs> <laughs> the stay tuned thing. Is that like stay tuned for something from IDW? Or stay tuned, they're maybe going to make a movie in this universe again someday? Why can't it be both? I mean, it likely would be if if one then the other. Yes. Well, if if movie then comic. I don't think if comic then movie, but <laughs> it's hard to say. But uh, you're probably right. Well, we're gonna take a quick break there, and when we come back, we've got the story "A Matter of Choice" by Will Wheaton. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Positively Trek. We truly do appreciate each and every one of our listeners, and I'd like to especially thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you to our Constitution Class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of Positively Trek and join our crew, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, ad-free episodes, episodes and more again that's patreon.com slash positively trek thank you all and live long and prosper 
So, A Matter of Choice, written by Will Wheaton, art by Joe Isma, and colors by DC Alonzo. This takes place in the Star Trek Picard era of stuff, and we've got Chateau Picard, and a voiceover by somebody. I think we intuit fairly quickly who it is based on a number of things. Uh, the writer, the fact that they joined the Travelers, and of course, this lovely little red, yellow, teal combination that is very evocative of wesley's season one sweater there which i thought that was a really cute touch a very nice touch i enjoyed that absolutely so basically this story is wesley appearing to picard to get his advice on an important decision that he's got to make and i loved the heart in this one yes a because it's about Wesley and it feels so genuine because B it's written by Will Wheaton and you know, all of these things that he's saying that he's talking about all of the influences that, and I'm going to put them in quote marks, you know, Picard and Jordy and, and all these people had in his life. We know from real life that Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes and LeVar Burton and all of them had that impact on Will Wheaton's life. So I'm reading this and I'm getting choked up because mm. this is Will Wheaton talking. Mm -hmm. I, uh, when I saw that it was written by Will, I was very excited mm -hmm. because uh, I have his, I have his book, um, Just a Geek. And, mm -hmm. and I also have the annotated version. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, he was, he was like my avatar in Star Trek The Next Generation because he was basically the same age that I was while I was watching Star Trek The Next Generation. And so being that age and seeing how adults treated him sometimes, I'm just like, yep, yep, just wait mm. till you're grown, buddy. You can do this. You can make it. <laughs> Because, yeah. you know, I think I think when we become adults, we forget what it was like when we had adults telling us what to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and then we treat the next generation the same way that we were treated and sometimes creating this this circle of self-doubt and lack of appreciation and caring. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um but yeah, I I was very excited to see that it was Will that had written this, and I was so ready for a Wesley story. Yeah, and it, it was really lovely. So he's a traveler now, like we saw him become in TNG, and he's, you know, not supposed to revisit his old life, which, you know, gives us a little bit of insight into why Beverly hasn't seen him in however many years and all that stuff. But he's breaking those rules to come get a little bit more advice from Picard. And the advice that he gets, of course, is, you know, you've learned all these lessons. You've learned so much over the years. All you need to do is remember the lessons you've already been imparted and trust yourself to make a decision. He's kind of racked by this indecision that has defined parts of his life from time to time. And kind of confronting that he knows that he has the information he needs to make the right decision. And I, I just thought that was a really nice capper to all those interactions we saw during TNG mm. and going forward that not only should Wesley trust himself to be able to make that decision, Picard knows that he can trust Wesley to make the right decision. And that's, that speaks volumes in and of itself. It does indeed. And the interesting thing is, is that ugh, what I've learned in my old age, and I'm not a doddering <laughs> fool yet, but you know, I'm 20 years away from 70, which just floors me. I don't understand how this happened. <laughs> so um, I probably have more time behind me than I do ahead of me. And that is a very sobering thought. But um, I think a lot of times we have, just as humans, we have so much noise going on around us, inside us, that we can't hear our hearts, basically. Because if you are true to yourself and you listen to your heart, I know it sounds so hokey, folks, but it's true, your heart will never steer you wrong. Mm -hmm. You will know whether you're making the right decision if you really, truly listen to yourself. And it's hard to do because, again, all the noise. There's so much noise. 
Absolutely. And and that's what Picard cuts through here mm-hmm. when he says to Wesley, you know, uh, he he calls back to the first duty with the whole Nick Locarno thing, which is interesting, resonating with what we've recently watched with Lower Decks. Mm. Picard says to him, do you remember when your squad mate at the Academy was killed? I told you then that you knew what you had to do. I just made sure that you listened to yourself. Listen to yourself now, Wesley, and you are listening to everyone who has ever guided you, inspired you, held you accountable, and helped you grow. And that's the moment where it all comes back to him, and he remembers all of those lessons. And Ah, that, yeah, that made me, that that got me. That was right in the feels. I like that. Yes, I did too. And, you know, and that's the that's the beauty of this is Picard says, get out of your own way. Mm-hmm. That's basically what it can be distilled down to. Get out of your own way. And he does. He goes to Los Angeles in 2024. And this all seems to have been basically a prelude to that bit we see with him and Corey at the end of season two of Picard, which honestly was probably my favorite part of that season. Maybe there's another moment that competes with it, but that and and the farewell to Q, I think. But mm-hmm. this scene, a lot of people I have issues with it. I thought it was so amazing to see Will Wheaton there. And he felt like this well-seasoned, amazing traveler who, I don't know. I loved it. And I, I, it was, it tickled me that this tied into that at the end. I thought that was really nice. I was actually hoping for that. I was, oh, me too. <laughs> I was looking at all this and I'm like, oh, please tell me this decision is about contacting Corey. Please, 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 please. And I would have been okay if I had been wrong. But when I got to that final panel, I'm like, yes! That was awesome. Yeah, I was, I was hoping it tied into... Like, even on a more general level, I was hoping they'd tie it to some of the stuff we learned about the Travelers in Season 2, but the fact that it directly led right into that scene was so good. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated that, and uh, it, that was also one of my favorite scenes from Season 2. I really didn't enjoy Season 2 overall, mm-hmm. but anyone who has uh, listened to me uh, on your live show already knew that. But um, but that moment I loved and the last, you know, seeing Q at the end, that broke me mm-hmm. in yeah. a good way, in a good way. So it's okay. Well, from there, we have uh, story number five, The Starfleeter, written by Mike Johnson, with art by Megan Levins and colors by Rhonda Pattison. And this is, I think, as far as I know, the second story of Kayla Detmer, the Starfleeter we've gotten in this style. Uh, It's this adorable little kind of kid version of Kayla Detmer flying around her little starship Discovery, this little one-seater ship (laughs) that she's uh, crashed on this uncharted moon during an encounter with an extremely anomalous anomaly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, some anomalies are only slightly... Anomalous. That's the word I was looking for. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, This this one actually, I was looking at this and going, "Wait a minute! This is like this is like Fisher Price, Kayla Detmer." (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Not a complaint. (laughs) No, not at all. And this is the story isn't going to be for everybody. I remember when we talked about the the other one uh, in a previous issue, uh, it's not for everybody. It's a little bit on the cutesy side, but I feel like at its heart, it's got a real Star Trek message to it, which, you know, Mike Johnson writes it, right? He knows Star Trek. He's, yeah, yeah he's done this before. Uh, and I mean, just, you know, sit back, enjoy it. It's really cute. Kayla Detmer's a cute little kid and... <laughs> Laurel is even cuter. <laughs> oh my lord. Baby Laurel is like one of my most favorite things now. With her little batlets. I oh. know the little batlet. This this style is very reminiscent. I mean it's not an exact uh an exact copy of, but it's a very what the Japanese call kawaii style. Mm-hmm. It's very cute. And uh 
it, and so, some people might not enjoy that. I loved it immediately. <laughs> it's it's fun. I mean, I liked the banter back and forth between Laurel and Detmer, and then this challenge where Laurel gives her trial by gach, and she has to <laughs> eat the gach, and just belches in Laurel's face, successfully digesting the gach, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know. cute. It, it is cute. And just um, the delight on uh, little Laurel's face as she's watching Kayla about to eat the gog and just saying, ah, you're in for it now. Just this this glee, this hateful glee on her face. It's so adorable. Definitely. And then, of course, the Star Trek message at the end, they have to work together. Each of them has something that the other needs to repair their ships and they fly off together. Uh, that's very Star Trek. That was nice. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's um, it's a it's distilling down basically the biggest lessons of Star Trek is that no person's an island, mm -hmm. and no matter what your differences, you can find common ground. And uh, yeah, they they leave each other calling each other pals. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure Laurel was actually going to use the word pal, but there it is in the final panel. <laughs> yeah, and a little a little kind of glint in her eye. She's she's bought into it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. She's <laughs> she's invested. Well, which brings us to our final story of the the issue, A Perfect System, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, big names in comics, obviously, with art by Ramon Rosanis and colors by Lee Lowridge. And of course, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly are the ones that are currently writing the ongoing Star Trek flagship series with Captain Sisko and the USS Theseus that I know nothing about other than that, basically. So this is kind of touted as a prequel or a, a lead in to the, those stories, uh, which has me very intrigued based on what's in this story, because mm. I just, I'm not sure exactly what happened and I don't, I'm, I, where are they going to go with this? What's going on? You yeah. probably know way more than I do. I do um, not. And, I do not actually. Oh, have you not read those at all? Not yet. Ooh, that's exciting. Okay, cool. So, yeah, we've got Gary Mitchell post whatever happened to him in Where No Man Has Gone Before. He's got the, the white eyes. He's ascended basically to godhood, or at least as close to that as, as we would imagine. As he says, now Gary Mitchell builds solar systems. So he's on this higher plane, this, this level of existence. And he's kind of talking about the Federation or their ideals and, and what they strive for and stuff. Uh, talking about unity and the mission of, of the Federation and Starfleet. And we have all these examples of Starfleet officers throughout history that he's seeing right like he sees all of it kind of thing and so i'm not totally sure where it's going but he says you know eventually they will arise to my level kind of thing they'll they'll get here eventually i'll have a home waiting for them he says and they will count me as their friend once more or they would and something happens here so he seems to be dissolving. He says, after all, the world they want to build has a place for everyone and anything, except, of course, those who want everything to be nothing, to mean nothing. It has no place for you. And then he disintegrates. I don't know what's going on here, but it's intriguing as heck. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I want to know. I want to know. You have my attention. Also, I think mm -hmm. this is some of the most beautiful artwork in this issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it is incredible. The artist had a vision in mind and just put it on the paper. And like, again, I can sit here and say, I don't know exactly what it all means yet, but it's beautiful. Like, it's gorgeous. As he kind of floats through the cosmos into this debris field and dies and his skeleton settles among the rocks mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting 
<laughs> it is interesting. But can such a being actually die? Or do they just change forms? Because, you know, know, we're talking about strange energy here, right? And <laughs> we all energy, know how strange energies are. Strange energy. Uh, and energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change form. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking not maybe a physical death, but not a complete death. So, and I, I do appreciate that. Like you see that first big panel with him with the eyes and you're like, oh, it's Gary Mitchell. You don't even have to read any of the dialogue. You just know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just immediately recognizable. It's it's so well done. I don't I just don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't either. I do have the comics waiting for me. I just haven't read them yet. I do too. Yeah, I just I just haven't but you know, you dear listener are going to experience our first experience of these <laughs> comics. Um we have plans to get into them starting next year. Uh, I'm assuming, Brandy, you would be very open to joining me for that exploration. (laughs) Absolutely. You don't even have to ask. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there's already, I think, as as of when we're recording this, there's two omnibus editions out of the main series and uh there's one of the Defiant series, I think. And Mm. we're kind of, I think, depending on if I learn something different in my research about the reading order of it, we're just going to go in order of when those omnibuses, omnibi are released and read them kind of in that order. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, like I say, unless I look into it and say, oh no, you have to start Defiant after this issue or whatever, which is probably actually the case, but we'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. There's information out there. We'll get it. I'm really looking forward to it. And Again, even though this story leaves me scratching my head a bit, it's in a good way because I just, I want to know now. So, Yes, it teases. And that is the best way to uh, get someone invested. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just, uh, hey, this character we all know, and he's dead. Wait, what? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's to be continued. Now I have to know. Yeah, definitely kind of a record scratch, tire screech, left Mm -hmm. turn in that story there. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, the final thing in this book is this essay by Rich Handley at the end, which is definitely worth a read. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to learn that IDW, for example, has produced more Star Trek comics than any other publisher. And you know, they they account for 40% of the Star Trek comics that have been published since the 1960s. And that's amazing. And I think since this point, they've even, they've greatly upped their production level. So mm-hmm. when is Star Trek number 1000 coming? Probably not that far away. <laughs> Probably not, because they're really cranking them out and I couldn't be happier. Because mm-hmm. there was a while there that uh, Star Trek comics were hard to come by. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, all of these new series started happening. I mean, when year five started, that was really exciting for me. And so I thought, maybe this is a resurgence. I guess we'll see because, you know, sometimes they'll do a limited run of something and then you won't see a Star Trek comic again for a year. Mm -hmm. But then they just started churning all these out. And I'm like, wait, what? How are there so many Star Trek comics? This is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And, uh, oh, man, I'm, I'm really excited to get into the stuff that we haven't looked at yet. Uh, I feel like, you know, this is the Star Trek book club and a lot of Star Trek fans will kind of join me in lamenting the fact that the novels have really slowed down and Mm. maybe they're starting to get going again. But even so, there's only three scheduled novels in 2024 so far uh, from Gallery slash Simon and Schuster. So, you know, I'm I'm kind of glad the comics have stepped up and we can enjoy Star Trek literature in another form. And like, trust me, folks, I I assume you're on board because you're listening to this episode, but comics are literature. They're incredible works of art, incredibly well-written, beautiful artwork. And I really hope that 
people aren't so silly as to dismiss them as kid stuff or childish stuff. There's really incredible stories being told, and I can't wait to dive into some more of them. Agree. I I think... I think the fact that they're called comics uh, has sort of hobbled the industry mm. because comics have this root in comic strips, which are not what comic books are. Right. And, you know, maybe it was back in the day of Archie and all that, but that's not what it is now. This is a very effective storytelling tool, and it is just as valid as uh, any book, any movie, anything. So you're missing, if you're not getting comics, I mean, you don't, I'm not saying you have to get comics, but I'm just saying there are so many stories out there in Star Trek and outside of Star Trek that could open up an entirely new world for you. So don't, don't diss comics as childish because they're not. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm so looking forward to exploring these new worlds of comics with you over the next year. And, and, you know, maybe we should look into seeing what Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly are up to. And maybe they want to come on the show and talk to us about these comics. And, you know, I can also ask them about uh, the new Thunderbolts comic that they're doing in Marvel. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no, know. not I, a new Thunderbolts comic, really? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but I'm I'm so excited that we have these really talented writers who are writing for Star Trek. Uh, you know, there's so many talented names that we've talked about in this issue. We've got Mike Johnson, who always does amazing stuff. And like these two who are doing the ongoing series, there's just so many really cool stories to be told. And I want to read them all. <laughs> Agree. Agree. Then that's, that's another nice thing about comics is that you, you always get to the end and you're like, now I have to wait till next month for the next one. It's, it's like the old days of uh, serialized novels when they got paid by how many words they wrote. And so they would just drag the story on. And that doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean the story was good, but comics are different. They have, they know the end of the story before they start writing it. And so they take us on this amazing journey and, no. and keep us hooked. It's like, yep. get so white, man. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well thank you all so much for listening this has been so much fun more to come as you know keenster says at the end of that little one-page story stay tuned right there's more to come <laughs> but in the meantime brandy where can people find you follow you check out other things you're doing uh, i'm not doing other things right now <laughs> which is which is okay it's just uh, it's that time of year you know as we're recording mm -hmm. this it's christmas time now officially yeah. because uh, as we know in the united states it's not christmas time until black friday um Children, I, I put up my Christmas tree in the second week of November because um, that's a, a very difficult month for me now. And so I'm just like, no, we're just going to start Christmas early from now on. And uh, I've enjoyed it very much. But anyway. Um, I'm right there with you. I mean, yeah. this this flipping month is so bleak. Like you need something to look forward to, right? I mean, and it, yeah. that's why those festivals are where they are, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we need something. Yeah. Yeah, we do. But, uh, and here, that's the thing. It's actually been it up until like about five days ago, it was too warm. Mm. And there are still a lot of trees that haven't dropped their leaves. And it's weird and wrong. It's so warm here too. It's, it's creepy. Like we don't have snow where we don't have days. Just the latitude I'm at, this is weird. Trust me. Um, where we have days where it's above zero every day like mm -hmm. for the last few weeks which is wild for november and yes. it's almost december like mm -hmm. this is crazy anyway sorry <laughs> yeah we have seen no snow here either and uh, it's wild because usually we have a white thanksgiving we usually get snow mm -hmm. by thanksgiving if we haven't gotten it before i mean i remember times when i was a kid like it's we had blizzards on october in early october and yeah. oh, the yeah. school playground was just covered and we couldn't 
do anything at recess. We usually have snow for Halloween, usually. Yeah. At least something. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't last, but there's usually snow on the ground on Halloween. Yeah. Uh, we, we've gotten nothing, basically. All that to say, um, you can find me on places like um, if you're if you're on Blue Sky, and if you're not, hey, I've got codes. Let me know. Hit me up uh, at uh, brandywine at bsky dot social, and then Mastodon. I'm brandywine at ravenation dot club, and you can find me on Instagram just under my name, which is Brandy Jagala. And uh, I'm not going to talk about the other place anymore because it's just a dumpster fire. Yeah, agreed. I need to get on Blue Sky. I haven't done that yet. Brandy, you have very generously sent me a code, I think, like two months ago. Yes, at least <laughs> two months ago. I need to do ago. that. I'm sorry. In the meantime, you can find the podcast on Facebook. We have a page as well as the Positively Trek discussion group. It's definitely a separate thing. Find that as well. Uh, sign up there answer some questions, agree to follow the rules, and we'll let you right in. Great discussions happening there. If you want to talk about Star Trek number 400, you can leave a comment on the post for that episode in there or email us positivelytrek at gmail.com. We would always love to hear from you and your comments. And uh, if you have any ideas for what you would like to see in the book club beyond the comics that we're doing, as well as in the next couple book club episodes, I should say we're doing the autobiography of Benjamin Sisko by Derek, sorry, edited by Derek Tyler Attico. And after that is Making It So, a memoir by Sir Patrick Stewart. We're going to be covering that as well. Unfortunately, not talking to the author for that episode. Darn. <laughs> That would be nice, but uh, unfortunately not. Uh, and then, of course, like I said, in the new year, all the comics, all the comics, so many comics. We're going to be buried under comics like Kirk under a pile of tribbles. It's going yes! to be glorious. Yes, that is my dream. <laughs> well, again, thank you all so much for watching. We will see you in the next episode. Until then, as always, stay positive and keep reading. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.